0: I built this yeah. We don't think it was really... they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle, and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies, who talk nonsense, same thing as they ought not to. So I counsel the younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity. Some have in fact lost their way to our If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who really are.
1: This passage is a little bit like doing a budget. It looks at a real church's struggle with caring for widows and tries to answer the tricky question of who should be cared for by the church. So it might be a little bit uncomfortable and there will definitely be some confusing parts. But I hope that uh, the confusing parts are not distracting but that you will be encouraged by this passage that caring for the needy is not just a big idea but a practical, achievable path let me pray as we get into it. Father in heaven, this is a difficult part of the Bible to understand and apply, but we know you are good, you care for the needy, and you want your church to be equipped to care for believers and to show the gospel to our neighbours. Please help me to present my clearly, to avoid barriers. speak through your way. Please do so. And speak through me as well. Right? And you should have all sort of (laughs) amen. An example for his church in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Verse 1 and 2 continue this training of thought and give instruction for how Timothy can demonstrate the godliness, his godliness in the way he interacts with others in the church. This section should be helpful for all of us, but it's particularly relevant for young men like Timothy who in Paul's basic idea is that our interactions with each other should be like family. We should be treating older men like fathers, younger men like brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. This is not just a nice idea, but a command based on what we read in chapter 3. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 15. It should be on the screen as well. I'm writing you these instructions so that you find a way. and ways of interacting, But 1 Timothy is all about how people should interact with God's family. Since I started here, we have felt welcomed as part of the family. It's really encouraging hearing from the zones and the hunts that, that's been other people's experience as well. I think it's an essential part of how church functions, and it's not how every church does. We're really thankful for that. This passage talks specifically about how the church family should care for needy people. But this first part is a helpful reminder for us that in our everyday interactions with each other, we are a family. Next time you're responding to an email or chatting with someone at the church about to pick up the phone from a church member, it's helpful to think of that person as your father, mother, brother or sister in Christ. Think about how that might change your interaction. Perhaps it might give you more patience or make you more generous with your time and money. Or maybe it might just prompt you to show more interest in their life. So we're one big family in Christ, but what does that have to do with widows? Have a look at verse three and verse 16. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Do not let the church be burdened with them that is the widows were cared for already, so that the church could help those widows who are really in need. Paul writes this to Timothy to make sure that those in need in the church family, in this case widows, would be provided. for, And the church family would not be unnecessarily burdened. This is an expansion of what it means for us to interact with each other as family. So in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, Being a widow was quite a different story to what it is today. If your husband died and you had no family, there was no one to provide for you and nowhere to provide for yourself. In Adelaide in 2021, men and women alike can work and earn a wage and we're blessed to have a government that tries to provide financially for those who are out of work or unable to work. But I don't think any of us would pretend that there's no need So one of the questions that I've struggled with as I've tried to read this passage and write this talk, and I'd like you to struggle with that as well, is who are the needs in our society and our church today? And what are their needs? What does 1 Timothy 5 tell us about them? We'll think more deeply about this toward the end of the talk and in DNA groups this week, but I want it to be fun to know and give instructions. This is relevant for us now. How do we at Baners use our time, our money, and our resources in caring for needy people? So the widow section, verse 3 to 16, I've divided it into two chunks. First, the needy people the church shouldn't care for, and second, the needy people that the church should care for. So we'll start with the hard one first. (laughs) Who are the needy people that we should? There's two groups. The first group are people who should be well provided for already. Have a look at verse four and eight. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith. Worse than the unbeliever. If the widow has family, then the family should provide for them. If the family is not providing for them, Paul says that person has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. This was a massive statement to read and one that surprised me when I read it. I feel like the Bible often says, what feels like it says, No, that came to mind. But if my parents and my sister and I were to say, oh, well, who the church is hoping, I think they've got and do nothing ourselves, wouldn't it be unnecessarily burdening the church? I think it's complicated and tricky uh, to put this into practice, and it would be complicated and tricky to figure out how we kept them from interstate. And I think it would end up being shifted, but the distance and the complexity is not an excuse. Attitude of complete disregard. And I think that attitude of lack of care is why Paul says that you're worse than an unbeliever. Because looking at my mates outside the church, all of them value family. So if we live with complete disregard for our family, especially when they're in need, we're behaving worse than people outside the church. That's why Paul is so emphatic about Christians caring for their direct. The second group of people who says not to care for are the younger widows. Get ready for the hard part. Verse <laughs> 11 to 15. Um, so I think there's two instructions that Paul gives for the younger widows and two reasons behind his instruction. So the two instructions are for the younger widows to not be put on the list, which I take to mean they shouldn't be given regular provision by the church. And for the younger widows to remarry. His instructions are explained two overarching reasons. Um, Paul's reasons are that their sensual desires might overcome their dedication to Christ, and that in their idleness they may turn to Satan. take it, verse 11, when Paul says that younger widows' sensual desires may lead them to want to marry, is talking about remarriage to someone outside the church and it comes at the, at the expense of their dedication to Christ. Paul thinks it's better for them to not even risk it, and so instructs them to remarry within the church. In verse 14. Likewise, Paul sees the temptation that idleness poses to young women if they do not remarry, and the opportunity it gives them it to steal away these from the church. I, oh. I think there's, there's some context in the Ephesian church, that we don't have the details on, and it would be unhelpful to guess that. But the way Paul writes it, it sounds that this is a problem he's heard about already. That there were young widowers who were being supported by the church, and who were idle and not remarried. Paul says in verse 15 that some have in fact already turned away. sees the threat of sensual desires and violence and writes these specific instructions so that their dedication to christ is not overcome and they don't lose their faith. now i was a bit naughty in writing that the people the church shouldn't support I, I, I don't think that this passage is saying that we as oh. a church should never support young women It to um, but I think for, for us as the church, thinking through how can we be wise and what can we take away from all the instructions about this particular problem. So, first, what are the threats to our dedication to Christ? Is it idleness for you? when you're busy, then you tend to slacken in your problems. It's different for all of us, but work or thinking at this point in your life, what situations tend to feed your sinful desires? Second, what are our priorities? In caring for people, do we care more about their physical needs or spiritual needs? A good test for this is to think for a moment about which people or organisations you give your money to. How often do you pray for those people? I found this quite challenging. Thinking about our sponsor child, we have a group compassion. It's more often than I care to admit that we get a second letter back from them before we've responded to the first. Ronald did say she responds more than I do, quite. Often. <laughs> For me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's probably similar time frames, like months between when I would pray for them as well. How backwards are my priorities? I have a great opportunity to encourage a child in need on the other side of the world in their faith and to bring them before God in prayer. To show them that I'm providing for their physical needs because God provided for me. Your priority is the faith of those in need. He puts that above their physical needs. Is that your priority? So that was the first chunk, the people who we shouldn't care for. Now we get to the second part. Who are the needy people we should support? Have a look at verse five. We skipped over it before, but that's how I read the widow who is really in need and left all alone is her hoping and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. This is the person that the church really needs to support. The believer who has no one to turn to, no biological family to rely upon, no way to make a living on her own, and she's calling out to God. This sounds good. I think we can all agree that this person should be cared for by the church family. But as one more treatment, have a look at verse nine. It says, "No widow will be put on the list of widows unless she is over sixty, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds." This seems like a really high standard to me, doesn't it? Almost like a list of drug requirements before you can get your paycheck. It's confusing, but from what I've read, the simple explanation makes the most sense. That Paul is talking about provision for needy Christian widows, and so some sign of their faith in works is necessary. It's not saying they have to be squeaky clean, but that a reputation for good works will show the sincerity of their faith. This is not his expectation, for just all the Christian widows looking for support in the church. But it's his expectation of all Christians. He expects that faith and deeds should go hand in hand. So what does caring for needy church members look like for us at night? I think it means that members of our congregation who have been with us for a little while, who have served our church and cared for its members, they should be looked after when they're in need. This is not exclusive, saying people outside the church should be cared for at all. But, if a member of the church is in need of regular support, whether that be financial or relational, they should be a high priority. So this passage talks specifically about financial support for widows in a local church in Ephesus. But the guidelines book gives us a helpful, thinking about how we care for needy people in the wider church as well not just with financial support, but providing for all their needs so what ways could we use our time and money to care for the needy in our church and the wider church? I've been forgetting my clue oh, yeah. we're good <laughs> in terms of support of the universal church two organisations that seek to provide care for persecuted Christians in other parts of the world uh, open doors and the blind respond this could be a great way to use your money to support needy Christians in other parts of the world there's lots of other opportunities through those were two that came to mind and God did a funny thing on Friday night I was meant to be doing some final edits for this talk but I got a bit distracted and I was trolling through Facebook which I was meant to have deleted I brother still got it so it's on the computer <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and watch it pop up But Barnabas Fund's most recent update: a story of a widow, who is one of four hundred widows in Pakistan, being provided for as a part of a widow welfare project. And it just so happens that Tuesday is International Widow's Day. Isn't that interesting? So, that's pretty funny how it's done. Everyone's going to read out the story of Salma. Um, There should be her picture on the screen. It's a bit small.
0: My name is Sam.
1: We may have got an email from her a few weeks ago about coordinating some support for members of the church who are either housebound or isolated. She suggested a 20-minute visit once a month it would be hugely appreciated. So please shoot Kat an email if you're keen to get involved with that, or if you have capacity or ideas in how to care for others in the church. Or grab Ben if you don't have Kat's email and he can put you in the right direction or chat with you further. I recognise that for a lot of us, we have capacity in what we can give and what we can do.
0: And we might not be able to add things
1: in at the moment. And I don't think the problem of busyness is going to disappear anytime soon. One idea that I thought might be helpful um, is to sit down, like when you do your budget, um, and have some time each year or every few months where you look at how much time you spend giving activities and church activities, and do a bit of a forward on how that's going. How are you caring for people and how you use your time? And is it sustainable? Are there things that you need to stop doing, or are there opportunities to start helping in some way? Well, writing this that the church wouldn't be unnecessarily burdened, and I think the implication of that is that the church could continue to support the widows that did decide to needy people are often in need for a long time. The passage is not saying we'll do more stuff, but asking us to be wise as a church and as individuals so that we can provide good, sustainable care for the truly needy people around us. Now, this could be a dangerous piece of advice on time. Sustainable care can sometimes turn into care only when it's convenient, or care only when it comes without a cost and you can do it the The devil is quick to twist God's advice to be wise and to advice to be selfish. In Luke 21, Jesus sees the rich people, putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and a poor widow puts two small copper coins in half. And he says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty with all she had to is one that I find so difficult to put into practice. God allows us to give Him whole selves, a whole nothing. And part of that is being sacrificial in how we use our time. When there was pressure to do lots of good stuff. Jesus retreated to quiet places to pray when he had the power to heal people in the villages Even when he could have been casting out demons or preaching or teaching, he recognized to to the importance of time-alone prayer to strengthen him for the path that was before Yet, in a complete act of sacrificial life, Jesus had everything of himself on. The so that we
0: could be in relationship
1: with him. He held nothing back in obeying what God asked to Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he you became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus met our greatest thing that we might have life.